This is our third session on Colossians 2, 13-15. In the first session, we looked at our condition of, of deadness prior to our conversion, and then we looked in the second session at the miracle of life-giving that God did to us in our conversion. He made us alive. So, And you who were dead in your trespasses, against God, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Christ. Now, what makes Christianity different is not that there's a conception of sin, or even that there's a conception of renewal and new life or new birth. Other religions have that. What makes Christianity unique is this. The work of Christ, the Son of God, in history, on Good Friday, in his death, satisfying the debt that we owe God because of our delinquency and the outrage against his worth and glory in our trespasses. And that's what we look at now. So, Father, as we look at this most amazing and wonderful of descriptions of what happens to our sin in Christ's body on the tree. Open our hearts to be amazed and thankful. And may we say, this is worthy of our our life, our all. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. He made us alive with Christ. And then there are five things I want to relate. I'm going to save this for later, how he relates to the principalities and powers and demons in what he did here. But let's just try to piece together in a way that coheres with Paul's understanding of what happened on the cross. Having forgiven us all our trespasses, by wiping out the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he took away from the midst, nailing it to the cross. So let's count these pieces. There's forgiveness. That's one. There's uh, a wiping out. There's a record of debt to be wiped out. There's the taking away from the midst of that record of debt. And there's the nailing to the cross. And what's helpful to me when you see what? One, two, three, four, five events like that is to ask the order in which they happened or what was a cause of the other. Can we line them up and understand how they relate to each other? So here's the order I'm going to suggest. First, there's a record of debts that stood against us. That's these trespasses here. This record of debt, it's not a a financial debt. We don't owe God money. We owe God punishment. In other words, when you break the law of God, there is an appointed punishment by which 
your punishment reflects the worth of God. You have cried down and belittled his glory by your our disobedience, and in order to restore that glory and preserve God's justice and his righteousness and his honor and the worth of his name, there must be a detraction from our lives, even an ultimate one, an infinite one. So the debt here that we owe is a debt of punishment, not a debt of money. It's like a criminal that owes society the debt of 15 years in prison for assault or something like that. So that's number one. There's a record of, of debt. Second, there is a nailing of that to the cross. So this record of debt is this he took away, and it's still the subject of this. So it's the record of debt that is nailed to the cross. Picture this with me. It's a very long record. The unfolding parchment <laughs> or picture a long sheet of paper that goes on for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 yards long with small print of all of our shortcomings listed that need to be paid in punishment. And Christ folds it up in a very thick bundle, puts it in his hand, and the soldiers drive a nail through the record of debt into the hand of Jesus, into the cross. That's the picture that I see here. First Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, is another way of saying that it was nailed, our sins, the record of our debts were nailed to the cross. Third, there is a wiping out. And here's, if you want to continue with the picture, you could say it like this. This actually is a word that means erase or cause to be illegible by wiping. So when this blood starts soaking this record of debt in the hand of Jesus with a spike through it, it causes all the writing to be illegible. In fact, you could say with Isaiah, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, suppose all that record of debt was written in scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. In other words, they are wiped out as legible scarlet, wiped out as red print on the record of debt. So there's a wiping away so that they're not visible anymore. They're not legible anymore. And then fourth, therefore, they are, this record of debt is taken out of the midst. I've translated that very literally because I think Paul's idea is this record of debt against us was so glaringly central in the courtroom of heaven that there was no hope for us. It was like this big monument against us, this long, thick book sitting on the, on the accuser's table, 
in the courtroom. And now he's saying, because it was nailed to the cross, because it was wiped out and made illegible, it is gone. It is gone from the courtroom. It's out of legal consideration entirely, which leads then to number five, we are forgiven for our sins. Maybe I should go back and put a text underneath this take out of the midst, namely Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That's what Paul means by it is out of the midst, as far as the east is from the west. And so now we have forgiveness. And what what does that mean? It means this record of debt, these trespasses do not come into consideration when God looks at us. Here's the way it's put in Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, namely, whose sin is covered. That's just another picture of wiped out. The record is wiped out. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. No iniquity. It's not counted. It's gone. It's as far as the east is from the west. It's out of the midst. It is illegible because it was nailed to the cross. Now, the way we should think about this is that it is substitution. Jesus, right here, bore the nails that should have been driven through our hands. This is our debt, not his debt. These are our transgressions, not his transgressions. This is a great substitution. It's like in Isaiah 43, surely he has borne our griefs. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken. He was stricken, not us. Smitten by God. God is the one who punishes debts to God and afflicted. But he was pierced. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we His wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us. What a glorious statement of substitution. It's a beautiful word. Christ took our place, became a curse for us. Galatians 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He bore our curse. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, and he hung there for us. One more text, Romans 8. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin. In the flesh, whose sin? Ours. 
whose flesh? Jesus. That's substitution. So, what is achieved by this substitution? Debt. Satisfaction. There are other names for it. Debt satisfaction by substitution is a summary of the gospel. J.I. Packer once said the gospel was propitiation. That's a fancy word for removing the just wrath of God that was against our debt and our trespasses. It's removed, satisfied legally by substitution. And I'm going to ask this question and take it up next time. How is it just? How is it just for another person to bear our punishment? We don't allow that in our legal system, right? Your mother can't step forward if you've committed a capital crime and say at 80 years old, oh, I love my son. Let him go free and put me in the electric chair. That's never done. So how is it right for God to do something like that? We take that up next time.